Grace and peace to you friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1 Episode 72 and it is the 3rd of July 2022. Welcome everyone. I appreciate you joining me. If you are new here, you may be wondering what is the Encyclopedia Challenge? Do I have to have encyclopedias? I don't own an encyclopedia. What's the deal? Well, those are all great questions. And the Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the encyclopedia to you because who has time to sit down and actually read an encyclopedia other than me? Um, but this is this way you can listen to the encyclopedia while you're driving, while you're mowing, doing housework as part of your lessons. I don't know when you listen to it. I listen to my podcasts uh, while I'm driving usually. Um, so... With that being said, we have a huge day today. A huge day. Because um, we got to talk about some stuff. And normally I wouldn't even bring up anything political except if it relates to the encyclopedia or um, if, if it's just on my mind at the moment and just something stirs about it. Or I just do hint hints usually. Those of you who... Uh, listen on a regular basis. No, I do a lot of hint hints, um, but this time it's not going to be a hint hint at all. But tomorrow, for those of us living in the U.S. of A., it is Independence Day. And no, I'm not doing an Independence Day bonus this year. However, I did one last year. So feel free to check that out. Uh, go to theoaktreejourneys.com forward slash bonuses or just go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select bonuses. And there you will uh, find the bonus. And I believe that was still when I was doing YouTube videos. There's not a true video of, of people, I don't believe. Um, I can't remember exactly. It's been a while since I've actually done a video. Um, but yes, if you are interested in uh, the Independence Day bonus, definitely check that out from last year. So I'm not doing one this year. However, what I am going to do this year is read some quotes about independence. So before we actually get into uh, the entries for this week, and I know that's what you came here for, so that's what we're going to do. We're still doing uh, the encyclopedia challenge here. So of 30 words, and some of these are pretty lengthy. Um, that's actually what's going to help our time this week. Um, we may end up going over an hour. So let me go ahead and read a quote. This is not our quote of the month. I'm going to read our quote of the month here in a minute. Um, but an Independence Day quote um, is, Go to New England and visit the domestic firesides if you would see the secret of American independence. Religion has made them what they are. That is from Mascara. And this is obviously older. This, this is an older because who, who does firesides in the middle of summer anymore? But I'm going to read that again. Go to New England and visit the domestic firesides if you would see the secret of American independence. Religion has made them what they are. Okay, so that is our first uh, Independence Day quote. And let's go ahead and get into our quote of the month. So this month's quote is by Joseph Addison. If you don't know who he is, feel free to look him up, Joseph Addison. And his quote is, 
Justice discards party, friendship, and kindred, and is therefore represented as blind. I'm going to read that again. This is our quote of the month. Justice discards party, friendship, and kindred, and is therefore represented as blind. Okay, and let's go ahead and get into our first five entries. So we have, and these are all from, the first five entries are from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. We have, I believe it's two, maybe three, uh, maybe three from the uh, Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, but no more than that. I'm trying to look at my list, and I've got a lot of notes on my list this time. A lot of notes. Um, so it looks like there's three scattered throughout. Okay, so right now, though, we are in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and our first set of five entries are Emeridacea, or C-E, Anne, Anne, Anna or Anne, and then Anabaptist, or Anabaptiste. And to get the spelling of these, go to theoaktreejourneys.com, select Encyclopedia Challenge, and again, this is Season 1, Episode 72. And if uh, you are listening during the July 3rd week, it'll be the very last one on the page. If you are listening at any other time, you'll need to do a search for it. So again, this is season one, episode 72. And our first entry is Emery Day C.E. Emery Day C.E. A natural order of Dyctylodonous or exogenous plants consisting of trees and shrubs, natives of tropical countries, Remarkable for the abundance of their fragrant balsamic or resinous juice. They have compound leaves, occasionally with stipules and... Oh, let's see. Sorry, it is rubbed out. Pel uh, I'm going to guess pel peltucid dots. Peltucid dots. The flowers are in racemes or panicles. The calyx persistent with two to five divisions. The petals are three to five. Something novation, velvet or imbricated. The stamens are twice or four times as many as the petals. The ovary is superior, sessile, one to five celled, inserted in a large disc. The style solitary and compound or wanting. The stigmas as many as the cells of the ovary. The ovules in pairs in a tropple. The fruit is hard and dry, one to five celled, its outer rind often splitting into valves. The seeds are exobuminous. About 40 or 50 species are referred to the order, but many of them are still very imperfectly known. Some species afford valuable timber, but the principal products of the order are fragrant resins and balsams, as in myrrh and different kinds of frankincense, alumbanum, Balsam of Gilead, etc. And if you've never had, if you've never chewed frankincense, it's actually pretty good. I've had some frankincense gum. I actually have some uh, frankincense resin that I sometimes burn. And it smells wonderful. Among the more important genera of the order may be named Amorous, Balsamodeldron, Boswellia, and Ikika. 
Canarium commune, a native of Java, which yields a gum similar in its properties to the balsam of capeva, produces also triangular nuts, which are eaten both raw and dressed, and from which an oil is extracted for the table and for burning. Balanate nights egyptica is cultivated in Egypt for its fruit, a droop, which is eaten, and from the seeds of which a fat oil is expressed, called zakin. Number two, an. An. Denoting a single individual, but less emphatic than one, the indefinite article put before nouns or adjectives in the singular, beginning with a vowel or the sound of a vowel, as an egg, an honorable man. And then number three, an again. Conjunction, an, in Old English, if, and if, even if, ant, if it. And number four, Anna or an, a prefix signifying up, through, among, back again, in composition, similar to, or according to, as a postfix signifying a collection of memorable sayings or loose thoughts, as John Sonianna in medicine, prescriptions denoting a repetition or of each. Anna, noun, a collection of sayings, anecdotes, etc., of a person of note, and the anecdotes or gossip of a place. Such titles were first used in France relating to persons where they became common after the publication of Siligirana by the brothers Dupe, and that was in 1666. An approximately complete catalogue of works with such titles may be found in numerous bibliographic des ouvrages publics sous le nom de Anna, and that's Brussels, 1839. And number five, Anabaptiste, Anabaptiste, noun, one who rejects infant baptism and baptizes again those who have been baptized in infancy. Anabaptists, a religious sect holding this belief, Anabaptistic, of or pertaining to, Anabaptism, noun, the doctrine of the Anabaptists, see Anabaptists. And with that, we're going to go to break. When we get back, we are going to read about Anabaptists, because that will be number six, and it is fairly long. Um, so buckle up for number six. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries, so entries six through ten, are Anabaptists, Anabasadi, Anabasis, Anableps, and Anabolism. So number six is Anabaptists, term applied generally to those Christians who reject infant baptism and administer the rite only to adults, so that when a new member joins them whose baptism does not accord with their views of scripture, which usually involve also the necessity of immersion, he or she is baptized a second time, the first being considered no baptism. The name thus due to an accidental circumstance is disclaimed by the more recent opponents of infant baptism. The origin of the sect cannot be distinctly traced, but is manifestly connected with the controversy about infant baptism carried on in the early church. Opposition to this doctrine was kept alive in the various so-called heretical sects that went by the general name Cathari, or purists, such as the Waldenses, Al Albigenses, etc. Shortly after the beginning of the Reformation, the opposition to infant baptism appeared anew, especially among a set of fanatical enthusiasts called the Prophets of Zawaku, 
in Saxony, at whose head were Thomas Munzer in 1520 and others. Munzer went to Walchut on the borders of Switzerland, which soon became a chief seat of Anabaptism and a center whence visionaries and fanatics spread over Switzerland. They pretended to new revelations, dreamed of the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth, and summoned princes to join them on pain of losing their temporal power. They rejected infant baptism and taught that those who joined them must be baptized anew with the baptism of the Spirit. They also proclaimed the community of goods and the equality of all Christians. These doctrines naturally fell in with and supported the, quote, peasant war, end quote, that had about that time in 1525 broken out from the, zeal, the real causes of oppression. The sect spread rapidly through Westphalia, Holstein, and the Netherlands in spite of the severest persecutions. The Battle of Frankenhausen, Siemunzer, crushed their progress in Saxony and Franconia. Still scattered adherents of the doctrines continued and were again brought together in various places by traveling preachers. In this capacity, one Melchior Huffman, a furrier of Swabia, distinguished himself, who appeared as a visionary preacher in Kiel in 1527 and in Ebden in 1528. In the last town, he installed a baker, John Matheson of Harlem, as bishop and then went to Strasbourg, where he died in prison. Matheson began to send out apostles of the new doctrine. Two of these went to Munster, where they found fanatical coadjutors in the Protestant minister Rothman and the burghers Nipperdalling and Crutching, and were shortly joined by the tailor Bockhold of Leiden and Garrett Kippenbrock of Amsterdam, a bookbinder, and at last Matheson himself. With their adherents, they soon made themselves master of the city. Matheson set up as a prophet, and when he lost his life in a sally against the Bishop of Munster, who had besieging the been bes who was besieging the town, Bockhold and Nipperdalling took his place. The churches were now destroyed and twelve judges were appointed over the tribes as among the Israelites and Bockhold in 1534 had himself crowned king of the New Zion under the name of John of Leiden. The Anabaptists' madness in Munster now went beyond all bounds. The city became the scene of the wildest lasciviousness until... Several Protestant princes, united with, uniting with the bishop, took the city and, by putting to death the leaders, put an end to the new kingdom in 1535. But the principles decimated by the Anabaptists were not so easily crushed. As early as 1533, the adherents of the sect had been driven from Ebden and taken refuge in the Netherlands. And in Amsterdam, the doctrine took root and spread. Bockhold had sent out apostles, some of whom had given up the wild fanaticism of their master. They let alone the community of goods and women and taught the other doctrines of the Anabaptists and the establishment of a new kingdom of pure Christians. They grounded their doctrines chiefly on the apocalypse. One of the most distinguished of this class was David Joris, a glass painter of Delft, from, who lived from 1501 to 1556. Joris united liberalism with Anabaptism, devoted himself to mystic theology and sought to effect a union of parties. He gained many adherents who studied his book of miracles, which appeared at Deventer in 1542 and looked upon him as a sort of new messiah. Being persecuted, he withdrew from his party, lived inoffensively at Basel under the name of John of Bruges, and died there in the communion of the Reformed Church. It was only in 1559 that his 
heretical doctrines came to light when the Council of Basil had the bones of Joris dug up and burned under the gallows. The rude and fanatical period of the history of Anabaptism closes with the scandal of Munster. A new era begins with Minnow Simons, see Minnow. Surrounded by dangers, Minnow succeeded by prudent zeal in collecting the scattered adherents of the sect and in founding congregations in the, in the Netherlands and in various parts of Germany. He called the members of the community God's congregation, poor unarmed Christians' brothers. Later, they took the name of Mennonites. Oh, there you go. That's where the Mennonites came from. And at present, they call themselves in Germany, Tufgesent in Holland, Dupgesinden, corresponding very nearly to the English designation Baptists. This, besides being a more appropriate designation, avoids offensive association with the early Anabaptists. Minow expounded his principles in his fundamental Busch von dem Rechten Christenland Gluben, 1556, or oh, I should have looked down, Elements of the True Christian Faith, is what that means. This book is still an authority among the body, who lay particular stress on receiving the doctrines of the scripture with simple faith and acting strictly up to them and set no value on learning and the scientific elaboration of doctrines. They reject the taking of oaths, war, every kind of revenge, divorce except for adultery, infant baptism, and the undertaking of the office of magistrate magistracy. They hold to be the institution necessarily for the present, but foreign to the kingdom of Christ. The church is the community of the saints, which must be kept pure by strict discipline. With regard to grace, they believe it to be universal in its provision and offer to all. And their views of the Lord's Supper accord with those of Zwingli. In its celebration, the rite of feet washing is retained. In Germany, Switzerland, and Alsace, their form of worship differs little from the Lutheran. Their bishops, elders, and teachers serve gratis. Children receive their name at birth. Baptism is performed in the place of worship and adults that join the sect are rebaptized. But with these general principles, there have been endless diversities and splits in the sect, occasioned by differences to the strictness of discipline. This cause divided the body as early as 1554 into the mild and the strict Mennonites. The first were known by the title of Waterlanders, from a place in Holland. The second split again into a multitude of subdivisions according to minute shades of strictness, and there are several designations derived from the names of leaders, places, and even peculiarities of dress. John Jacob Christians, Butners, Hook and Ayers, etc. Bewilder, the student of ecclesiastical... Oh, Bewilder. Okay, so, so it bewilders the student of ecclesiastical history. The purity of their lives, however, everywhere commanded respect, and their industry made them prosperous so that they gradually secured formal toleration in many places. Almost the only split among the early Continental Baptists on doctrinal grounds was that which took place in Amsterdam in 1664. Arminianism had not been without its influence, especially among the Waterlanders, originally more liberal in their views. A leading congregation accordingly divided into two parties, one, Calenists from Galenus, their leader, advocating freer views in doctrine and discipline, the other, apostolists from Samuel Apostol, adhering to absolute predestination and the discipline of Minnow. The Liberal Party rejected creeds as of human invention, adopted much of the philosophy and theology of England, and exercised no little influence on the intellectual progress of Holland. These two parties gradually absorbed in 
the other sections of the Baptists in the Netherlands, and about the beginning of the 19th century, a union took place by which all the congregations now belong to one body. In Germany, the Baptists have made some successful attempts in recent times to extend their church. And by recent, this is the early 1900s. Under the Baptist Union of Germany, which although including churches in Holland, Poland, and other countries, derives its strength larger, largely from Prussia. There are upwards of 100 churches with about 20,000 members. In Prussia, various concessions have been made to the Baptists early in this century, such as exemption from military service. They were tolerated in Bavaria, Baden-Württemberg, Mecklenburg, Russia, France, and Denmark, but were expelled from Sweden. Wherever they are settled, they are respected as quiet, industrious subjects, but several German governments have imposed restrictions on their exercise of public worship. The reason assigned being the tendency to visionary enthusiasm, which had again shown itself in some congregations. The, represent the representatives in the sect in the United States and the Great Britain have little or no historical connection with the earlier Anabaptists of the continent. See Baptists. And number two, number two is Anna Basidi, Anna Basidi, family of Acranthogerous fishes, characterized by a remarkable structure of the upper membranes of the pharynx, which are divided into small irregular leaves containing between them cellular reservoirs. These retain water sufficient to keep the gills moist for a considerable time and so enable the fish to subsist out of water and to travel some distance on dry ground. That's pretty cool. Some of the species as the climbing perch of India, climbing steep banks or even trees by means of the spines of the fins, tail, and gill covers. That is so cool. Ophisophilus marginatus is often seen traveling among the grass in the beginning of the rainy season. That's neat, too. The fishes of this family appear to leave the water for various reasons, but usually it appears um, upon account of the drying up of pools and periodical droughts, their peculiar organization enabling them to go in search of others. Ooh. They are all freshwater fishes, and you notice they use fishes, not fish for everything, so fishes, native of the southeast of Asia, continent and islands, and of the south of Africa. The species are numerous and are arranged under 11 genera. Some of them are much esteemed for their delicacy as food. Ooh. And speaking of food, if you remember last week, I mentioned that our congregation is having a meal. So if you are in the area today, um, from 10 a.m. Eastern to 12 p.m. Eastern, uh, you're welcome to come. The meal is after 12. The Sunday school services start at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the church services start at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And then the meal is afterwards, which is a little afternoon Eastern Time. So if you are in the Bluff City area, feel free to hop over to Mountain View Church of Christ uh, for a meal. And I am planning on making, and hope it turns out, <laughs> um, just a little while, I'm, I'm planning on making... Chinese food. I know that's kind of weird for July the 3rd, the day before Independence Day, um, but it's a teriyaki uh, dish that I wanted to try. I had some chicken, um, some really, really good chicken, and so I just wanted to try it out, and I bought some egg rolls and all that, so 
so yeah, and I've got rice and all that good stuff. And I heard my sister uh, is making ham and potato salad. I don't know what anyone else is making, but she makes the potato salad like our mother makes the potato salad, and it is absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to eat some of her potato salad because it's really, really good. Okay, so let's move on to number eight, Anabasis. Greek, literally, an ascent or march out of a lower or into a higher country. The name of two historical works. One, the Anabasis of Cyrus, written by Xenophon, which gives a narrative of the unfortunate expedition of the younger Cyrus against his brother, the Persian king Artaxerxes, and of the retreat of his 10,000 Greek allies under the command of Xenophon. Number two, the Anabasis of Alexander, written by Arion, and giving an account of the campaigns of Alexander the Great. Those actually sound pretty cool. Okay, and before we get to numbers 9 and 10, I want to read another quote about independence, because tomorrow is, the, for the U.S., Independence Day. And this quote is by Thompson. It just says Thompson. Uh, not with a P, just T-H-O-M-S-O-N. Hell! Independence! Hell! And that's H-A-I-L. So let me read it again. Hell! Independence! Hell! Heaven's next best gift to that of life and an immortal soul. So he thought a lot about independence, as do I. So that was pretty cool. And number nine, anableps. Anableps. Genus of fishes. Here's fishes again. Of the order Malacetaridae, Abominalis, family Sapronidae of Kavir, of the family Sapronidae of Agassiz, characterized by a structure of the eyes to which there is nothing similar in any vertebrated animals. This consists in a division of the cornea and iris into two somewhat unequal elliptical parts by transverse bands formed, by, formed of the conjunction CI. So that the animal appears to have four eyes, and there are really two pupils on each side, the other parts single. That's interesting. Okay, and number 10, anabolism, noun, process by which one simple substance is transformed into another more complex, and which involves the storing up of energy, assimilation, as in the conversion of the nitrative elements of food into living tissue. The converse of catabolism, which is the setting free of energy previously stored up. The term is used in defining the formation of protoplasm. And you also hear uh, these terms in work workouts and healthy eating. And before we go to break, let's read another quote about independence. Since tomorrow is Independence Day. This is by Park Godwin. Park Godwin. The greatest of all human benefits that at least without which no other benefit can be truly enjoyed is independence. So I like that. And with that one, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries, so entries 11 through 15, are Anacamptics, Anacoana, Anacardaceae, Anacardium, Anacarthetic. Okay, and number 11, and before we get to number 11, 
I just want to mention that I am going to have a contest. Um, I will give more details uh, in uh, episode 73. So next week I'll have more details about this contest. Um, however, it will involve a bonus word. Now, I did have a bonus word last time, but no one caught it. So this time I'm going to do a better job of ensuring that you catch the bonus word. The bonus word will be a Greek word. Um, and it'll all make sense a lot later, but it'll, um, it will be a Greek word. And I will say bonus um, before I say it, but I will have way more details in episode 73. It won't necessarily be in episode 73. But I'll have more, more details. And it's to win a book that is no longer available called Love Gone Viral. It's a set of five uh, closed door romance stories. And don't worry, uh, Feeding uh, Feed America and, and uh, the other one that I mentioned last week, um, they've already gotten paid. Uh, so I paid full price for this and they have gotten their portion. So this isn't something that, that I paid, you know, part part of the price because I'm one of the authors. I did pay full price. Uh, so it is mine to give away. Um, and my part will be signed. So my story will be signed. Um, but you also have the choice. You can either have that or a coupon for my Teespring store. So you can have either one. You can have a physical copy, signed copy of Love Gone Viral, at least signed by one author. Uh, not by all five, but just one. Um, or you can have a coupon for my Teespring store. But more details will be mentioned in episode 73, and I'll give you a heads up um, before the bonus. So I'm hoping to do uh, the bonus sometime this month. Um, and then that way you can have whoever wins can have their prize, you know, in August. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to number 11. And it is Anna Kemptics. Anna Kemptics. And again, uh, for the spelling of these words, uh, go to theoaktreejourneys.com, select Encyclopedia Challenge. This is Season 1, Episode 72. Okay. Anacamptics, the doctrine of reflected light or sound, anacamptic pertaining to. And number 12 is, oh, I was about to read the wrong one. Number 12 is actually from the... Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Let me make sure I'm on the right page, which of course I am. Oh, I was. Okay. And this one, oh, this one is really neat um, and sad. This is a very sad story. Um, but it's Anna Kowona, Anna Kowona, um, or Golden Flower. So this is about a woman, a Haitian princess, so a princess from Haiti. Sister of Bahochia and wife of Keanoba, both chiefs of the Indians of Haiti, when Columbus discovered that island in 1492. On her brother's death, she became the head of the tribe, and after the death of her husband, remained on friendly terms with the Spaniards until 1503. So here's where it gets really sad. So she was very friendly. She was the head of the tribe. Everything was going really well until 1503 when she gave a feast in honor of Avando, the Spanish governor, in the midst of which she was put to death by his order. That is just horribly, horribly sad, I believe. It, it just, it's terribly sad. Um, it's a beautiful story that I would like to know more about, but then it ends in tragedy. 
number 13, and before we read number 13, we will go back to the, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. But before we read number 13, let's go with another Independence Day quote. And this one is by J. Martineau. The moral progression of a people can scarcely begin till they are independent. So the moral progression of a people can scarcely begin until they are independent by J. Martineau. And number 13 is Anna Cardace, Natural order of dicotyledonous or exogenous plants consisting of trees and shrubs which abound in a resinous, sometimes acrid or acrid and poisonous juice. The leaves are alternate without dots. The flea, the fleas. <laughs> that reminds me, I found a tick on myself earlier, so that's probably what I've got on my brain, you know, blood suckers. The flowers are inconspicuous, usually unisexual. The calyx is generally small and persistent and has generally five divisions. The petals are paragenous, equal in number to the segments of the calyx, imbricated in estivation occasionally wanting. The stamens are equal in number to the petals and alternate with them or twice as many or more, distinct when there is a fleshy disc, cohering at the base when the disc is wanting. The ovary is usually single, free or adhering to the calyx, one-celled. The styles one, three, or four, occasionally wanting. The oval solitary attached to in the bottom of the cell by a cord. The fruit is usually a droop. The seed exabominius. The order contains about 95 known species, chiefly but not exclusively tropical, among which are a considerable number valuable for the resinous juices and varnishes which they yield, as the varnish of silheat, varnish of martaban, Japan lacquer, or lacquer, sorry, etc., and others which produce wholesome and pleasant fruits. See cashew nut. Pistacia, mastic, turpentine tree, mango, hog plum, sumac, and poison ivy. Did you know poison ivy was in there? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and before we get to number 14, let's go ahead and read another Independence Day quote. And this one is by J.W. Alexander. It should be the lesson of our life to grow into a holy independence of every judgment which has not the sanction of conscience and of God. No man can lift up his head with manly calmness and peace who is the slave of other men's judgments. Okay, and let's go ahead and go to number 14, Anacardium. Noun, the name of a genus of ornamental trees, one of which yields the cashew or marking nut, order Anacardacea, see cashew nut. And number 15 is anacathartic, anacathartic, exciting discharges from the mouth and nose. Noun, a medicine which does so, opposite of cathartic. Ew, so it's exciting discharges of the mouth or nose. I'm sure it's not like exciting, exciting, it's just where it's excited and probably just runny. Okay, and before we go to break, uh, just a couple of uh, things I want to mention. First of all, today is day three of Camp NaNoWriMo. So if you are participating in Camp NaNoWriMo, awesome. You're doing great. Keep it up. 
Um, if you don't know what Camp NaNoWriMo is, just go to NaNoWriMo.org. It's where um, writers go. Uh, it's a group of uh, community writers for online. And they have Twitter and they do contests and different things. It's pretty cool. I, I used to participate for years and years and years and I finally stopped. I think it was last year I stopped because I had other goals in mind. And I didn't have time to do 50,000 words in November. But awesome job if you're doing Camp NaNoWriMo. You, you got it. You got it. Doing a great job. And let's also read the last Independence Day quote because when we get back from break, we're going to talk about a few things um, that, that need to be said and you've probably heard, but hopefully I'll, I'll uh, present some new insights to it. And you can probably guess what it is. Um, oh, before I mention, before I do the quote, Please be careful if you're doing fireworks, and I'll hopefully say, say something again. Um, even if it's something that you don't use fire for, a lighter, match, whatever, those really long, really cool things um, that my brother and I did not use over the weekend, please be careful even if it's a twist off because what happened to me was I had these really neat smoke bombs. Uh, I didn't know uh, that they weren't that you didn't need fire when I first bought them. I was just like, oh, smoke bombs. Love smoke bombs. Well, they were twist. Twist smoke bombs. So my brother did one. Really pretty. It popped out everywhere in the air. It was really cool. You just twist it, and the compressor pushed out the smoke, uh, the powder that created smoke. So later on, before night fell, and we did the big fireworks, I went ahead and did the second one. Uh, no one else wanted to do it. It's ages three and up. None of the kids wanted to do it. None of the other adults wanted to do it. So I did it. And mine was not built very well. Um, the, the compressor part, which was metal, metal on the bottom and plastic near the top, uh, was stapled around my brother's. Uh, mine was stapled but not stapled all the way. <laughs> So, needless to say, I got popped in the stomach pretty hard um, whenever I twisted it off. Uh, so, please be careful. I've got a giant bruise. It's round. Um, just right there on my stomach. So, anytime I, I run or, or hike or go hiking, which I did do a couple of days ago, uh, it does hurt. So, so, just please, please be careful. Uh, it's, what I say is it's not a Mandy Oaks uh, fireworks display unless someone gets hurt. Uh, so, I'm just thankful it was me and not the kids or one of the older adults. Um, was, you know, so, I am glad it was me and none of the other adults. But please, please be careful um, whenever you're doing fireworks. Uh, just safety first. Uh, fireworks are a lot of fun. Love it. I'm still going to do it next year, Lord willing. Knock on wood there, Lord willing. Um, that wasn't wood. That was plastic. So that's just all I wanted to say about that. So let's go ahead and read the last quote about independence. And again, if you want to uh, hear my Independence Day bonus from last year, uh, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select bonuses. And uh, I think it's the first one on that separate page there. And this uh, quote is by Jay Bentham. The word independence is united to the ideas of dignity and virtue. The word dependence to the ideas of inferiority and corruption. 
So I'm going to read that one more time because this is our last quote for independence. This is by Jay Bentham. The word independence is united to the ideas of dignity and virtue. The word dependence to the ideas of inferiority and corruption. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries, so entries numbers 16 through 20, they, these are all from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, are anacharsis, anachronism, anaclastics. And before I begin number 16, um, I just want to say whether you realize it or not, or whether you want to admit it or not, there have been lines drawn, not just drawn, but scorched into the earth, completely scorched into the earth. And we'll get into that momentarily, but you need to ask yourself, which side of the line are you on? This is certainly not something that any of us expected, um, but it's been happening for quite a few years now, and we all know why we've seen it. I've lived it uh, several times. I was kicked out of my house because of the things I believe, because I'm too Christian and too conservative and I believe in freedoms. Um, so which side of the line are you on? It's not just drawn in the sand anymore. Um, it has been scorched into the earth. So you need to know which side of the line you are on. And before we get into that, and if you don't want to hear any of this, then uh, feel free to hop out now. Um, but it's something that we need to talk about because a historical ruling happened and I won't, won't say any names because I don't want the podcast people to, to push me out. But we know, we know what ruling that is. Actually, two historical rulings um, were made that I'm aware of. There may be more, but two, two historical ones on the same day, uh, which we will, we will only talk about one. Um, but before we talk about it, uh, let's go ahead and get into number 16, which is, I've already lost my place. <laughs> and that's because I flipped the page over so I would know how to pronounce these. Number 16 is Anacharis, Anacharis, which is a genus of plants of the natural order Hydrochordae, of which a species, A. Alcinestrum, or Elodia canadensis of some botanists, has recently become naturalized in Britain. And I love when they say recently because this is, again, remember the early 1900s. Suddenly appearing in so great abundance as to impede the navigation of some rivers and canals. It is a native of North America growing in ponds and slow streams and is a dark green, much branched perennial entirely floating underwater. Its flowers only appearing above water for a very short time at the period of fertilization, as in others of the order to which it belongs. It has numerous leaves, which are either opposite or in whorls of three or four, without footstalks, linear oblong, transparent, three to four lines long. The female flowers are sessile in the upper axles and are enclosed in a small two-lobed spathe. The slender tube of the perion is often two or three inches long so as to attain the surface of the water. 
where it terminates in three or six small spreading segments. The mill flowers are seldom observed. The plant, first found in Britain in 1842 in the lake of Duns Castle, and again in 1847 in the reservoirs of a canal in Lekestire, Le it is now very abundant and troublesome in the Trent, Derwent, and other rivers. Its rapidity of growth is extraordinary. Immense masses disfigure the shallows of the Trent and cover the beds of the deeps. It strikes its shoots under the mud in a lateral direction for six inches or a foot and then rises and spreads. The stems are very brittle and every fragment is capable of growing so that the means usually adopted for riddance of it serve rather for its propagation. Wow. Oh man, that sucks. I understand that we have kudzu and uh, now we have bamboo problems. So kudzu and bamboo and uh, um, honeysuckle. It appears that the waterfowl are very fond of it, and by then probably its seeds may be conveyed from one river to another. It has been found that swans may be fed upon it with advantage, and its excessive growth kept down more effectually in this way than in any other. It is supposed to be a great impediment to the progress of salmon ascending the rivers in which it occurs, but for some kinds of fish, it probably affords both food and shelter. Our common tape grass, or eel grass, native also in Europe, is of this family. Okay, number 17, Anarchesis, so Anarchesis, lived B.C. 7th century. A Scythian, brother of King Salios, visited Athens in the time of Solon, with whom he lived on terms of intimacy, but whose abilities for framing a constitution he does not seem to have esteemed highly. Incited by a love of learning, he subsequently traveled through several countries. On account of his clearness of understanding, he was numbered among the seven wise men, and many sagacious proverbs and sayings were ascribed to him. No other, quote, barbarian ever received the Athenian franchise. The letters which bear his name were written long after his time. It is said that after his return to his native land, he was put to death by order of the king, who feared the introduction of the mysteries belonging to the Greek religion, in which it was supposed that Anacharsis had been initiated. Under the title Voyage, hold on, under the title Travels of the Young Anarchists in Greece, Jean-Jacques Bartholomew, a well-known French author, wrote a description of Greek life and manners, displaying learning and good taste, but disfigured by many anachronisms. He is made to visit Athens only a few years before the birth of Alexander the Great, and the features of several distinct periods in Grecian history are confusedly regarded as having been contemporaneous. The book, therefore, will not bear a critical examination, but it has contributed its share to an improved knowledge of ancient life and has given rise to several similar works, such as the Gallus and Caracals of Becker. The Anarchesis of Bartholomew has been translated into English. And before we move on to number 18, um, I do want to just say a few words about the decision. Um, I did have to remove myself from a writing group, and if any of you are listening, I do miss you very much. I love every single one of you, and I do miss you, but I had to do it. It was a decision that I had to make. And, uh, because uh, their argument was these rich old white men 
struck it down. Well, here, even if, uh, and this was supposed to be a Christian group, okay, um, so a Christian writing group that I was really excited about. Let's, let's look at it from that point of view for just a moment. Okay, the Supreme Court wasn't, or is not, just made up of rich, old, white men right now. It, it's just not. And even Ruth Ginsburg said that the decision would not hold up. What's happened, you had old, rich, white men make the decision uh, and gave the federal government more power than it should have. So by striking this down, these states have the power back. And it's not that you can't get a safe, uh, you know what, um, which I'll probably say the word here in just a little bit, but you can, depending on what state you're in. Okay, so it hasn't been struck down where you just can't get it legally anywhere. You can. It depend again, it depends on the state. And these, the Supreme Court actually did a really good thing by handing it over to the states because that is what we are. We are a republic. And the republic is supposed to be state-centered. So you have more control over what your state does as an individual than what the federal government does. And right now, the federal government, whether you agree or disagree, um, it can be argued, I think, very well. <laughs> and we won't get into all the arguments. Federal government has overstepped their bounds. And the tentacles are reaching and gripping very tightly at this moment. So by this being struck down, it struck down one of the tentacles. Now technically the tentacle can grow back um, into two or three and other places, but at least this, this right now is a good thing. You may not agree that it's a good thing um, for whatever reason, but if you look at it strictly from a non-Christian point of view and strictly from a constitutional point of view, it is a very good thing not to have the federal government dictate what all of the states do. Now, does that mean I'm going to agree with every single thing that they take away from the federal government? No. There are some things that impact me as well. However, it is still up to the states. And just because it's illegal in one state doesn't mean you can't cross over into another state. As in uh, some types of marriages, if you recall, uh, before the federal government declared it legal. You could still go into places like Canada and other states and it would le it was legal. So with that being said, let's go ahead and move on uh, to number 18 and then we'll talk more about this from a Christian point of view. So number 18 uh, is Anachort or Anacharit. I've got Anachort here. Let me fix this. Anacharit or Anachort. doesn't really say how to pronounce it. All it says is C anchorette. Anchorette. So we have to wait until we get to the ANCs before we can find out what that means. And number 19, anachronism. Anachronism. Noun. An error in point of time, a mistake in telling when an event happened. Anachronistic. Erroneous in date. Sometimes an anachronism is purposely made for the sake of effect or to bring certain events within convenient compass for dramatic purposes, like stories and stuff. Shakespeare, here we go, in his Julius Caesar, 
makes the clock strike three, and Skiller in his Pakomanani speaks of a lightning conductor as existing about 150 years before the date of its invention. These discrepancies, however, do not seriously injure the general truth of a poetical work. The anachronism is more offensive when in a work when pedantically adheres to the customs or costumes and other external features of old times, we find a modern style of thought and language um, or a can of soda or whatever that was, water bottle <laughs> in, a, in a TV show. Um, it, as in the old French dramas of Corneille and Racine. In popular epic poetry, anachronism is a common feature Achilles is always young. Helena, always beautiful. Uh, you can actually say that in the Spider-Man movies, that Spider-Man is usually always in high school. Um, which is annoying because, you know, anyway. In their versions of old classic traditions, the writers in the Middle Ages converted Alexander, Aeneas, Aeneas, and other ancient heroes into good Christian knights of the 12th century. In the Nibelungen lead, Attila and Theodoric are good friends and allies, though the latter began to reign some 40 years after the former. At the end of the poem, the heroine, who must have been nearly 60 years old, is still, quote, the beautiful queen Krimhild, end quote. And this also happens, we call it, um, well, historical fiction is, is one thing we call it. We also call it alternate timelines, um, which is pretty neat. I don't mind it. Uh, I didn't realize it was also called anachronisms. That's pretty cool. I'm glad to put a neat name to it. Uh, uh, so anyway, I, th I think that's cool. All right, number 20. In a classics, noun, plural, that part of optics which treats of the refraction of light, now called dioptrics, in a classic pertaining to... Okay, and let's go ahead and take a break, and when we get back, we'll talk more about the decision as well as get to entries numbers uh, 21 through 25. And welcome back. Entries numbers 21 through 25 are Anacletus, or Cletus, Anacletus II, or Petro Perleoni, Anacolothan, or Anacolith, Anaconda and Anaconda. Okay, and this time we will be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for numbers 21 and 22. So let's find out in entry number 21 who Anacletus or Cletus was. And he was a saint and pope. He ruled um, from 76 to 88. I was looking for the 19 or the 15 or, you know, some... Two, two numbers in front, but no, it's 76 to 88. He was the second successor to St. Peter as Bishop of Rome. Little is recorded of his pontif pontificate, except that he ordained a number of priests and died a martyr. And with that, let's go ahead and go into some controversial things. My brother was talking to a, an elderly couple who told him that the ruling was upsetting because it is a biblical right and therefore a constitutional right to have abortions on demand. So according to this, this elderly couple and according to a lot of people um, with their reactions and stuff, uh, it's a biblical and constitutional right. Okay, so let, let's take a look. 
uh, to see if it's a biblical right. Before I get into some Bible verses that talk about the death of children, uh, let's, uh, let's read Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 12. And this is from the New King James Version. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, so just keep that in mind as we go through this. So, is abortion on demand biblical? Is it, is it biblical? Let's go to Exodus chapter 1. See, death of infants and infanticide and genocide are not new in the Bible. And they're not new throughout history either. But let's, let's look from a Christian point of view. Let's take a look to see if this is something that is biblically, uh, is your right as a Christian biblically. Let's take a look. So I'm going to read, again, this is New King James Version, so Exodus 1. Verses 8 through 22. I know this is a long, very long verses, so, so bear with me. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. We could replace the king over Egypt with, now there arose Hitler over Germany. See where I'm going with this? Okay. Verse 11. Therefore they set, they, they set task, taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Uh, this is also, if you know the movie Braveheart, uh, you can also put that in there too. So again, nothing new throughout history. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke the to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, okay, this is what the king of Egypt said to these midwives, these Hebrew midwives. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. What does this also remind you of? Uh, not too ancient history. Where, okay. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. So, verse 20. Does it say, if you know your Bible, does it say God was displeased with the midwives for lying and struck them down dead? It could very well say that. If, if we are going through 
going to say that God says it's okay to do this as a Christian. This is your right. And remember, that even though this is the Old Testament, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the same forever. Verse 20 actually says, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So it goes on to chapter 2 about Moses being born. And Moses, of course, was, was actually cast into the river. Uh, his, his mother did obey the Pharaoh. However, she was clever, very clever, and she didn't just toss him in at two years old. She actually made a little ark or a little, you know, little raft type thing for him for him to float on. So technically, technically she obeyed the law. Uh, I, I love that part of the story because technically she did. She did cast her son into the river, but he, he she did it in such a way that he survived. So I want that to marinate for just a moment. And we're going to go on to number 22. And again, this is from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So Anacletus II, or Pietro Pierleoni, who was an anti-pope, anti-pope. So remember, Anacletus was a saint and pope, and Anacletus II is an anti-pope. He ruled from 1130 to 1138. He was a monk of Cluny and a legate under several popes. He was elected pope illegally on the same day as Innocent II. Louis VI and the French clergy, clergy together with Emperor Lothar II, upheld Innocent, and St. Norbert and St. Bernard of Clairvaux were responsible for the rejection of Anacletus. A council held at Reims in 1131 confirmed their decision. I feel like we did cover this earlier in an earlier podcast. I can't remember exactly um, what it was under. Uh, it may have been under the uh, the innocent po- I don't. I don't remember exactly, but I do kind of recall that. And before we get to number 23, which will be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, now let me read, I hope Exodus 1, 8 through 22 mar- marinated a little bit. So let me read from Jeremiah chapter 7. It's Jeremiah here. And again, this is New King James Version. It's Jeremiah chapter 7. Verses 28 through 34. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is, the, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. 
Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I'll cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. And uh, you can have the argument that, oh, we're not talking about babies, we're talking about fetuses. We'll get to that momentarily. But let's go ahead and go to number 23, which is, da, 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 here it is, Anna Colothan, Anna Colothan, or Anna Kaluth, which is a noun. In grammar or rhetoric, lack of strict logical, ooh, here we go, <laughs> lack of strict logical sequence in the construction of a sentence when one of the parts has a different grammatical structure from the remainder. Oh, I sometimes do that. Good writers sometimes sacrifice this logical sequence to emphasis or to vividness. In colloquial speech, anacoluthan is common. Anacoluthic or anacoluthical, wanting sequence or connection in its parts. Okay, and that's pretty cut and dry right there. Okay, number 24, anaconda, noun, seboa, or python. Okay, let's read uh, some more Bible verses before we get to number 25. So let's go to Leviticus 18.21. We are still in the Old Testament, I realize that. So Leviticus 18.21, and we will go to the New Testament during the next section. And again, this is from the New King James Version. So Leviticus 18.21. And you should... Okay, so this is the laws of morality. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay. And then Ezekiel 16... I remember where Ezekiel is. Oh, here it is. Again, New King James Version, Ezekiel 16, 20 through 21. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you bore, bore to me, which is God, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? That you have slain my children and offered them up to by up to them by causing them to pass through the fire. And just let that sink in for just a moment. Number 25, anaconda again. This time, it's not a snake or boa or python. It's a city and county seat of Deer Lodge County, Montana, on the Northern Pacific, Great Northern, and but Anaconda and Pacific Railways. 27 miles northwest of Butt. It was founded in 1884 and is noted for the great copper smelting works, the largest in the world. There are also large railway shops, machine shops, brickworks, and other manufactories, banks, churches, public schools, a public library, and daily and weekly newspapers. The population in 1900 was 9,453. With that, let's go ahead and go to break. Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 72 of the Encyclopedia Challenge. 
from theoaktreejourneys.com. I appreciate you joining me this week, especially since this last part is a lot more intense than my usual podcast for the Encyclopedia Challenge. In the last set of five entries are Anacreon, Anacreontic, Anacyclus, Anadem, and Anadiplosis. Anadiplosis. I mentioned that uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever, or tomorrow and forever. So let me, let me put a few verses to kind of back that up. Uh, let's go to John 8, verse 58. Again, this is all uh, New King James, and this is the uh, New Testament now. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And if you remember from the Old Testament, when Moses was supposed to go to uh, Pharaoh and the people said, what, what am I supposed to call you? And God's like, I am. I am who I am. Uh, I am the great I am. So Jesus is saying that he is the same as God. So that will make more sense whenever we go to Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so I wanted to bring those uh, verses up. And we are going to look at more Bible verses because we are still looking at this from a biblical point of view. If you remember, uh, I believe it was in the in part four, at, right after break, we looked at it from a constitutional point of view. And now we're looking at it from a biblical point of view uh, because there are some Christians who believe that, that this is a biblical right. This is a God-given right. Therefore, it's a constitutional given right. And hopefully I'm making a good argument saying it's not because it is not a biblical right. It is not a God-given right. And we will see more New Testament information about that. But for now, let's go ahead and go to the purpose of this podcast, um, which is to read the encyclopedia. Number 26 is... Anacreon, Anacreon, and that's about B.C., so this is a person that looks like, so he was born about, or lived B.C. 562 to 477, born in Teos in Ionia, one of the most esteemed lyric poets of Greece. Ooh, I love poets and writers. He spent part of his youth in Abdera and rose to fame about B.C. 530. He was patronized by Polycrates, ruler of Samos, at whose court he sang the praise of wine and beauty. After the death of Polycrates, he was invited to Athens in B.C. 521 and was received with great honor by Hipparchus. On the fall of Hipparchus, he left Athens and probably returned to Teos, from which, during the insurrection of Ionia against Darius, he fled to Abdera, where he died at the age of 85. Well, that's not that's not too bad. Although my grandfather's about that age, so eh, my grandfather seems still seems pretty young. So we'll say that seems older, but it's really not. According to tradition, he was choked by a dried grape. Ooh, great honors were paid to him after his death. Teos put his likeness upon its coins, and a statue was raised to him on the Acropolis of Athens, which represented him in a state of vinous hilarity. Only a few of his poems have been preserved. 
of five books which once existed only six oh wow so he had five books but now only 68 lyrics now exist which is in the early 1900s so i don't even know if those exist which bear his name but of these comparatively few are to be confidently regarded as genuine they exhibit great simplicity and delicacy of expression fertility of invention and variety of illustration more a poet of congenial spirit translated the odes of an anacreon into english verse which is pretty cool okay, and number 27 is anacreontic anacreontic after the manner of the greek poet anacreon we could have guessed that it also means joyous Ooh, that's cool anacreontics noun verses like anacreon's love and drinking songs and number 28, Anacyclus, all it says is see the Pelatory of Spain. Okay, and let's pause there before we get to number 29. Let's pause there and read some more Bible verses. So we read from the Old Testament before break, and now we're reading from the New Testament because like, oh, that's the Old Testament stuff. That doesn't really count, blah, blah, blah. But let's let's take a look. First Corinthians 10, 20 through 21. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Let that sink in for just a moment. You're like, well, this isn't sacrifice. This isn't, you know, we're not doing human sacrifices. We don't do human sacrifices anymore. You don't understand. This is just a clump of cells. That, have you ever seen, and I've got to say, for, for anybody who argues that, have you ever actually seen an abortion? I'm not talking about the outward part of the abortion. Have you seen the videos put out the older videos. I'm not even talking about the newer videos. I'm talking about the videos put out by abortion clinics showing how safe it was. The ultrasounds of what happens. It is not a clump of cells. It is a little baby trying to get away from a foreign object that is jabbed into the uterus. Um, if you haven't seen that, I highly, highly recommend you watch it. Um, and I haven't seen any of the newer ones because the older ones, uh, gave me nightmares. Um, human life is sacred. Jesus died for all of our sins and human life is very sacred. So just, just think about that for a moment. I don't even believe in the death penalty. Not if we've got prisons. Um, because human life is sacred. And how do we know that uh, the person getting ready to be put to death on the death penalty won't be converted to Christianity and his soul, his or her soul saved? Um, human life is human life. You can call it a clump of cells if you want to. Speaking of a clump of cells, let's take a look to see what God has to say about those clump of cells. Go to Psalm 139. And verses 13 through 18. For you, God, and this is uh, a psalm of David, 
For you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. See, David didn't need an ultrasound to know that he was formed in the womb. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, it's in the womb, in the, in the safe the safe spot of the womb, the a mother's womb is supposed to be safe while the baby grows. I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, oh, wait, yeah. That, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. We're precious to him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sins so that we can go to heaven. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay, and we're going to stop right there and read number 29 um, as you contemplate that. And that was in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. So number 29, anadim, a garland or fillet, a crown of flowers. That's pretty cool, an anadim. It's kind of like a diadem, which is kind of a type of crown, which I just watched Harry Potter not uh, not that long ago, which they talked about the diadem. Oh, so a gar garland or fillet, a crown of flowers, and that's anadim. And before we go to entry number 30, which is our last entry for the week, and thank you so much for those of you who have stuck with me. Um, let's go to Matthew. Uh, Matthew 19, because again, Psalm is from the Old Testament, and I, I promised we would we would go to the New Testament. Uh, so Matthew 19, we, we've established that it's not a clump of cells, and if you go and watch, I believe it's called the Silent Scream. Uh, I don't know if it's still called that. I don't know if it's still available. I am not personally going to look it up. I've Once is enough for me. Seeing that one time is enough. Um, you, you can, again, call, call a baby a clump of cells all you want. But it's not. So, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Then little children were brought to Jesus that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. And I and I have to kind of back up too, because not only is it, uh, it hasn't, the new laws, I believe in California, and I think either Maryland or Maine, I can't remember which state, tried to pass this law too. Not only is it abortion while the child is, is in the mother's womb, but it's up to 30 days after birth. When is a child a child? Is it in the womb or outside of the womb? Before it was outside of the womb, up up to well even up to a few months and then it and now it's a child's not a child 30 days after they're born jesus said let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven we can't just take our goalposts and keep moving it 
you know, God is God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so Matthew 18, 1 through 10. So here, here's here's one I really want you to think about. Matthew 18, 1 through 10. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this, as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For, the, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Don't start cutting off your extremities. That's not literal. Please don't. <laughs> That's a completely different thing altogether. But here's verse 10. Here's verse 10 of Matthew 18. This is very important. Very, very, very important. There are two things in this verse that are extraordinarily important. And I hope you catch them both. Take heed that you do not despise, that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels, their angels, plural, always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I'm going to read that again because it's extremely important. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Take heed that you do not despise one of these children. Take heed that you do not despise these little clumps of cells. Take heed that you do not despise one of these babies. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Just take a minute, then we're going to move on to the last word of this week. And if it sounds like I'm passionate, this is something that I am very passionate about because I abhor murder of all types. Um, I think that there is an occasion for self-defense. However, if you don't have to take a life, don't do it. And I'm, I'm not talking about wars. That's something completely different. We're not even going to go there. Number 30. Anadiplosis. Anadiplosis. Noun. In poetry and rhetoric, a repetition of the last word or words in a line or clause in the beginning of the next. I write like that sometimes. So, anadiplosis. That is our last word for the week. And if you've stuck with me, awesome! Thank you so, so much uh, for sticking with me. And if you did stick with me and you would like me to do a separate podcast for things like this, if this, if this is something that you're, you are interested in and not just uh, learning about the 
entries in encyclopedias, please let me know. I, it's something I've been contemplating, but I'm not sure how that would go over. Um, so if you did enjoy this, please email me, mandyoaks at protonmail.com, if this is something you want, want to know more about. Or if you want to argue with me, that's fine. Debate. Debate with me, that's fine. Your opinion is your opinion, but facts really don't care about your opinion. Is, uh, I believe that's what... I don't remember some YouTuber, podcaster, someone said, said that, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I'm not going to take that away from him. Uh... It's not someone I listen to on a regular basis, so I can't remember who it is right now. But uh, I won't take that, so please, <laughs> uh, that, that's not mine. Don't quote me on that. I can't. I just cannot. Ben Shapiro. I do not listen to him very often, um, if at all, any, anymore. I just I, ca I caught him in one of his shows once, and he said that, and it's absolutely accurate. Um, I think people quote that all the time uh, in, in YouTube videos and stuff. But if it is something that, that you are interested in me doing, um, in a again, in a separate podcast and not using this podcast, because I do want this podcast to be dedicated to just the encyclopedia entries and maybe a few little uh, news things here and there, um, please let me know uh, and, I'll, and I'll do that. It's just that this was so passionate. I feel so passionately about it, and I did have to leave a Christian writers group because of this. Because, remember, the lines have been drawn. You know, if, if, anything, if the last few years have taught us anything, um, the goalposts have constantly been moved. We're not talking about the goalposts. First you have to do this, and then, then you'll get this back. No, wait, then you have to do this, 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 and this, then you'll get your things back. That's a goalpost. That's not the line. And usually we say the line has been drawn in the sand. Absolutely not. It has not been drawn in the sand. It has been scorched into the earth. And you do need to decide which side of the line are you on. Uh, because this is not anything easy. And if you want to tell me, if you are going to email me and say, well, what about the rape victims? If you were raped, don't even go there because you don't know me. Um, and I've heard that argument before, and that is a very, very inconsiderate and rude argument. Because you don't know what someone's been through. At all. At all. So with that, I'm going to read the quote of the month one more time. Justice discards party, friendship, and kindred, and is therefore represented as blind, and that's by Joseph Addison. And I want to wish everyone a happy Independence Day. I know this has been a very intense podcast that, uh, at least the last part of it's been very, very intense. Again, if you stuck with it, I appreciate you. And let me know again if this is something that you want to... To, to hear more about the political stuff in a and that would be in a separate podcast from now on. Uh, so yeah, just let me know. Uh, you can email me mandyoaks at protonmail.com um, or you can go to my website theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact me and then let me know there. But I hope you have a very safe Independence Day. And if you want to listen to my Independence Day bonus from last year, 
Uh, that's theoaktreejourneys.com forward slash bonuses or just go to theoaktreejourneys.com and click on bonuses. And in my book section, Love Gone Viral is no longer there. I am going to take it out, the, at least the link out. But as I mentioned earlier, I will try to have a contest uh, so you can win either a copy of the book or a percent off of my Teespring store. And all of these links, if you want to do Camp NaNoWriMo or anything, all these links are listed in my podcast at the bottom of the screen. So with that, happy Independence Day, and I bid you adieu and have a blessed week.